Hi, we are Inspired Churches and we are honored for you to tune in. We are a church that is being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and walking in rhythms of life for the good of the city and for the glory of God. As we walk into a new year, we invite you to be part of the ministry by donating a gift today. Go ahead and visit us at inspirechurches.com. Last week, we started a sermon series that we are calling Essentials. And really, this sermon series has two goals, two priorities. Number one is we want to show you, we want to demonstrate and display the beauty and the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so with this series that we're calling Essentials, we're taking the gospel and we're pulling it apart. And we're just kind of going through gospel themes so that every week you can see the beauty and glory of the good news of Jesus Christ. But that's not just the only thing we want to do. Number two is we want to remind you. Because how many of you know as Christians we forget? Right? I think Pastor Roger said this in one of his psalms. We are faithful forgetters. We have a tendency to forget the gospel. And so not only do we want you to see it. But we want to remind you of the beauty, wonderful glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Have you ever rejected a gift? Some of you might have a story like a weird boyfriend or something like that. But for the most part, like we don't tend to reject gifts, right? Like you might have returned one. <laughs> you might have exchanged one, right? But when somebody offers us a gift, we tend to receive it with gratitude. And I want to tell you, that's what faith is. That's what faith is. Uh, um, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, if you remember last week, tells us this, that it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Amen? By grace. Remember last week we talked about grace. And grace is a free gift of God's salvation. And so it's by grace that you've been saved. But notice at the end it says through what? Faith. And so I want you to hear this. If God's grace is his free gift of salvation offered to us, then our faith is how we receive that gift. I'm going to say that again. If God's grace is his free gift, then our faith is how we receive that free gift. So today, if you haven't guessed, we are moving from the element of grace to the element of faith. We are moving from God's free gift to us. We are moving from God's free gift to us to faith, which is our acceptance of that free gift. Amen? Now, here's something that's really key before we dive into the text. I want you to know this, and if you're taking notes, it won't be on the screen, but it's really important for you to know. God initiates with his grace. Right? We got a lot of shy folks. You're not initiators. God is not shy. He initiates, and so God initiates with his grace but we must respond to that grace by faith. Amen? And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. Come on, can we just thank him? We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that this gift was free. There was nothing that I could do to earn it. In fact, I don't deserve it. And yet you gave us your son freely. And out of gratitude of that grace, we, we freely receive it. We freely receive him 
by faith. So open up our eyes to hear and see what you want to tell us so we may understand faith and so that we may be able to walk out of here praising you because of the glorious wonder of your gospel. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, open with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Now, I'm going to warn you, we are going to read 40 verses. 40, 40 verses. Now, because this selection is long, I've asked Pastor Roger to read. <laughs> and by your laugh, you probably know why I've asked Pastor Roger. I've not only asked Pastor Roger to read this text, but I've asked him to read this, Pastor Roger, in your most Holy Ghost anointed. <laughs> right? I want Pastor Roger to read it with fire. Like, I don't, want, I don't want Pastor Roger just to be Pastor Roger as he reads this text. I want him to be bishop, <laughs> apostle, <laughs> prophet, evangelist teacher, world renowned. <laughs> and so I have asked Pastor Roger to do the honors to read all 40 verses of this text. And so Pastor Roger, would you come up and would you my reading Hebrews? Can we give a round of applause for Bishop, Apostle, Evangelist, Prophet? All right, let's go to Hebrews 11, pressure's on. I'm going to ask a favor of you as, you as you follow along, every time you see the phrase by faith, would you just say that out loud with me? So we're going to read that part together. Anytime you see by faith, we're going to read by faith together, okay? Heavenly Father, this is your word. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is written was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered up to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous. God commanding him by accepting his gifts and through his faith though he died he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up so that that he should not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, believing warned by God concerning events as not yet seen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By his condemned the world, by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed and he was called to go into a place where he was to receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going but by faith he went there to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob heirs with him of the same promise for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations who forward in that city he has foundations whose sorry whose uh let's see whose designer and builder is God by 
display of faith. Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, for one man as him as good deed were born, descendants of many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Though these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles in the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear, and they that are speaking a homeland, seeking a homeland, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared them a city. Here we go. By faith, Abraham, when he has tested, offered up Isaac, and he who has received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, therefore, Isaac, shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked uh, for, uh, future blessings of Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the Exodus and of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that he, the child, was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he has grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the, than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to that reward. By faith, he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea onto the dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had been given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For by for time would tell would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and, and, and Samson and, and, and Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained uh, promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness because mighty in war but foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead. Oh, come on, back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they may rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sewn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in their skins of sheep and goats, destitute and was not uh, and afflicted and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering on the deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these things through the command of those faith did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us they shall not be made perfect. <laughs>
Come on, let's give another round of applause to Pastor Roger. Now you know why I had him read instead of me. To be honest, I was only tempted to read the first two verses of this text. Uh, but as I was diving into the text, I realized that when this text was read, it was read to the New Testament church in its entirety. This text was meant to be read before the congregation uh, for you to understand uh, what the people of old have gone through and what they have achieved by faith. Amen. Yeah, amen. Hebrews chapter 11 has been called the honor roll of the saints or my personal favorite, the hall of faith. And what Hebrews chapter 11 catalogs is the experience of men and women in scripture. Now, the one thing that we see in Hebrews chapter 11 is the definition of true, genuine, biblical faith. You'll notice that this chapter reveals that faith is more than just a mental exercise. I want to pause so they can sink in. Faith is more than just a mental exercise. But from this chapter, we see that if it's going to be sincere, if your faith is going to be genuine, if your faith is truly saving faith, it must influence our intellect. It must influence our affections, and it must influence our behavior. Let me say that again. If your faith is sincere this morning, it will influence your intellect. It will influence your affections, and it will influence your behavior. Another way to say it would be like this. Genuine faith has content to believe, someone to trust, and something to do. If you're taking notes, I'm going to say that again. Genuine faith has content to believe. Intellect. Genuine faith has someone to trust. Affection. And genuine faith has something to do, behavior. Let's unpack. If you noticed, and because we read so many verses, it's possible that you have already forgotten. In the opening line of verse 1, there's a Greek word that you probably didn't notice because we read it in English. But that Greek word has been translated by various translations to mean confidence or assurance or substance. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. That's how this chapter opens up. And I love the word substance because contrary to what the world might say, our faith is not a weak faith. It's a weighty faith. When you think of stuff, when you think of substance, you think of weight. Our faith, contrary to what the world may say, is not a weak faith but a weighty faith. It's a faith that is grounded and anchored in Christ. It's a faith that is grounded and anchored in Christ so that God's people are not flimsy or wishy-washy. So that we are no longer, as Ephesians 4.14 puts it, children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, human cunning, or craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Our faith is anchored in substance. It's weighty. It's grounded so that you and I are not tossed to and fro by the wind and the waves. 
the implication of this truth is simple. Genuine faith has content to believe. In order for your faith to be sincere, right, there needs to be data, information. And there needs to be an intellectual agreement with that information. How am I doing? Now, I'm going to stop there because it's not a bombshell revelation. It's, we know that in order for our faith to be genuine, we have to place it in something. And even though it's not a bombshell revelation, the applications are crucial. The applications are critical. So hear me well as we walk through the application of genuine faith having content to belief. Let me ask you this question. Do you know the contents of your faith? It's quiet. Uh, this, this is a, a, a deep pastoral concern. This is a deep pastoral concern. As a pastor who has been called of God to plant a church, as a pastor who has been called by God to build and multiply disciples, I have a heavy heart when it comes to the question, do you know the contents of your faith? I want you to know that in the West, it is becoming increasingly more post-Christian. Yeah. Yeah. Europe is already there. The United States is quickly approaching and the Bay Area is the tip of the spear. In the West, we are becoming increasingly post-Christian. What does that mean? That means there's going to be a decline in biblical literacy, especially in the church. This should concern you. It's ironic. We have many people who identify themselves as believers and yet have trouble articulating what it is that they believe. Right? Genuine faith has what? Content to believe. But if you're unsure about that content, how can your belief be genuine? Their faith lacks weight. And it's not my intention to shame anyone. Some of you are like, here we go. <laughs> but if you don't know the content of your faith, how can it be genuine? I'm speaking specifically to those who have been a part of the body of Christ for years now. And I wonder as our society becomes more and more post-Christian, right, what you think influences what we do. And so what we begin to see is that the, the outward rhythms of life have started to become deprioritized. Rhythms of, of studying the scripture, rhythms of reading the scripture, rhythms of attending the gathering on Sundays. Did you know faith comes by hearing? And I have a fear that in our post-Christian world, we have looked at these rhythms and we have turned them into, we have turned these rhythms into a choice. We've turned these rhythms into an option. 
instead of prioritizing these rhythms in order to grow in the content of our faith. I want you to know from the bottom of my heart, this is going to be a seatbelt comment. But Sunday morning Christianity is not going to give you the content. It's not going to help you understand the content of your faith. It's a good commercial for groups. <laughs> when we gather in groups, we sit in a circle, we read the scripture, and we begin to ask questions. It's a rhythm. It's a rhythm of life. Will gathering in groups save you? No, only Christ can save you. But gathering in groups will help establish you in the content of your faith. Another application that is dear to my heart. Because we have content to believe, we don't just believe anything and everything. Because we have specific content, Christians don't just believe in anything. We don't just believe in everything. Are you with me? And in our pluralistic society, right, in our all-inclusive world, Substantive faith is under attack. Let me explain. You see, the dominant story told in our culture is that all roads lead to God. And as long as you're not hurting anybody, you can believe whatever you want. But this is not what the Bible says. This is not what the Bible teaches about the content of our faith. It teaches that in order for our faith to be genuine, we must place our faith in some place, or better yet, someone specific. Listen, our faith has content to believe. And at the heart of that content is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we don't just believe in anything or everything, but our faith is anchored in the word of God, and our faith is grounded in what the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. I want to take a step back and give a warning to some Christians. We really need to be very careful because... Some churches and denominations have been poisoned by what has been called word faith theology or prosperity gospel. Yeah. And I have, a, I have a deep concern for folks, for Christians who are being influenced by this poison that has crept into certain denominations and is posed as good theology. The movement falsely proclaims that your faith can attract blessings. It wrongly proclaims that your faith can attract health, wealth, and prosperity. They claim that we can speak things into existence. Have you heard of this? Some of you probably do this, right? Accidentally. Don't say that. Don't speak those words. As if God is powerless. Right? But, but we say it, but we don't understand the logic of it. 
This theology has said something to the effect that, well, you were made in God's image, and since God spoke the world into existence, you can speak your world into existence. That you can create and manifest success. I was having a conversation. This was an illustration I was planning on using, and I was having a conversation, and somebody was sharing their experience with this, and it's, it's really painful to share, but I, I know people, if you've been around a particular denomination of Christianity, you know that this poison has flowed, and I know people that were told that their sick loved ones would be healed, that that was God's will. And then when their sick loved ones died, they were blamed for not having enough faith. It's disgusting. And by the sound of the groans, you've, you're familiar with that. It's heartbreaking. It's demonic that someone would twist the scripture in such a way. Listen, your faith is not a tool to manipulate God. Some people preach and teach that your faith is a tool to manipulate God into doing what your will be done. (sighs) And we listen to the teaching, we listen to the preaching, and the poison, it flows. These false teachings, they miss the mark. You want to know why? Because they elevate the idea of faith over the object of faith. They elevate faith, but not Christ, who is the object of our faith. I want you to know, Jesus is not a means to your end. Right? He's not a means to your end. He's not an ornament on your tree. He's the tree. Right? We, we don't just give our life to Jesus so he can make our life better. We lay our life down so that we can lift Christ up because he is worthy of it all. I want to continue with these applications. And I notice my time hasn't started, so praise God. Thanks, sis. She's always got my back. (laughs) Remember, our faith has content to believe, right? We're still there. (laughs) We're going through all the applications of what it means to have content to believe. Here's what I want to tell you about substance, about weight. You know, we would be fools to stake our lives on something that is uh, unsubstantiated. We, We would be fools to stake our lives on something that has no evidence. Wouldn't we? I mean, Paul says if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then we're all foolish. We are all dummies. What are we doing? I could be at home right now. I could watch more football games. If Jesus, amen, and the Raider fans said amen. Like if Jesus didn't raise, let's go home, shut the lights. What are you giving your money for? What a waste. What a waste. We would be fools to believe in something like that. But, but our faith is not a blind faith. 
Our faith is not a fairy tale faith. It's not an imaginary faith. It's not wishful thinking. But the content of our faith is grounded in reason and logic. I love how Tim Mackey kind of points this out throughout the text. You see, in verse 11, we're told that Sarah considered. Sarah considered him faithful who had promised. Let's put that up on the screen. What's that word? Consider means to think about, to ponder. Our faith is not a thoughtless exercise, but our faith has an intellectual capacity. Are you with me? And if you know the story of Sarah, she was old and barren, and God told her she was going to have a child. And you know what she did? She laughed at God. But if you continue to read the story, the story tells us here in Hebrews that even though she laughed at God, after she stopped laughing, she started to consider. She started to think. God got the last laugh. What did she do? She considered the source. And she concluded, if God has kept his promises in the past, then he'll surely fulfill his promise toward me in the future. Listen, she may not have had absolute certainty, but she did have a reason to believe. What about verse 19? Did you know that Abraham was told by God to sacrifice that son? We're told in verse 19 that Abraham was willing. What? You crazy. Why was he, why was he willing? Look at verse 19. It says this. He was willing because he what? Considered that God was able to raise him from the dead. I want you to know Abraham's logic was sound. If God could bring life to his wife's dead womb, then surely God could bring life to his son's dead body. Faith is not an abandonment of the mind, but genuine faith demands an intellectual investigation of the content to believe. And like Sarah and Abraham, we too have reasons to believe. We too consider the source. We too look to what God has done in the past in order to find hope for what he's promised to do in the future. So we look to the historical figure of Jesus Christ, who is the invisible God made visible. We look to the corroborated eyewitness accounts of his life his teachings and his miracles we look to the empty grave where by the way they still haven't found a body and as paul pointed out in first corinthians 15 we look to the testimony over 500 eyewitness accounts to jesus's resurrection sure you may not believe but you cannot say that our faith lacks weight and you cannot say that our faith is not grounded in reason worthy of consideration. But listen, 
our faith, it cannot be based on intellectual agreement alone. Are you with me? Our faith has reasons to believe. It has content to believe. Sincere faith requires that we would intellectually agree, but that's not the only thing that is needed for your faith to be sincere. Y'all with me? And so we move from the intellect in the head to the affections of the heart. The second half of verse 1 moves from substance to conviction. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I want you to know this genuine faith doesn't, doesn't just have content to believe, but it also has someone to trust. And I've heard it illustrated like this, and I like this illustration, so I ripped it off. If I were to ask you, if you believe that George Washington existed, most of you would say yes. I was going to say if you thought that the world was round, but <laughs> never mind. <laughs> Some of you got that. If I were to ask you if you believe that George Washington existed, you'd say yes. You weren't there. You didn't see him. Right? But you'd say yes. But listen, there's a difference between believing that he exists and believing that he saves. There's a difference between believing that George Washington existed. But there's a totally different belief in trusting that George Washington will save you. So it's one thing to believe in God, but it's another thing to believe God. It's one thing to affirm that Jesus lived, died, and rose again. But until the truth moves from your head to your heart, it's not saving faith. It's not genuine faith. Nobody put it more bluntly than Jesus' brother, James. It's always got to be the brother, right? I want you to look at what James said. In James chapter 2, verse 9, he says this, you believe, I won't have it for you on the screen, by the way, you believe that God is one, good. Even the demons believe that. <laughs> good old James. He says, you believe that God is one, good. Even the demons believe that and are afraid. Even the demons believe that and tremble. And I was just reading like, dang, James, like that. Listen, the demons believe in God, but they don't have love for God. They hate him. And you see, until you love him, you won't trust him. And so until what you say you believe in your head transforms the affections and desires of your heart, it's not saving faith. It's not genuine faith. So the key question becomes, how do you know when your faith is influencing your heart? Is that a good question? Yes. How do you know when your faith is influencing your heart? We know our faith is genuine when it begins to change how we live. Yeah. 
You need to write that down. We know that our faith is genuine when it begins to change how we live. When our mind starts to change. When our desires start to change. When our affections start to change. When our rhythms start to change. I got, come on, go back. Some of you are already there. You just gave your life to Christ. Some of you need to go back a little bit. You remember when you gave your life to Jesus, all of a sudden the things that you love to do, you didn't love anymore. You felt it. Do you feel that tension? The thing that you, you were dead in your sin, according to, according to Ephesians. You were dead in your trespasses. You were unaware. You were having a good time. Your heart and your body and your mind. You were doing whatever you want, whenever you want. Didn't think twice. And all of a sudden, when Jesus came in, when you put your trust in him, not when you just intellectually agreed, but when he began to change your heart, there became a relationship. And all of a sudden, there's some tension going on in you. There, there's, there's warfare going on in you. There's a battle. And what you used to thoughtlessly participate in all of a sudden, your love for Christ, your affections for Christ. When I married my wife, by saying yes to her, I said no to every other lover. That's what a covenant is. That's what a commitment is. And so when I put my faith in Christ, it wasn't just an intellectual thing. But my heart changed. You see what love does? When you're motivated by love. Don't get me wrong. We need content to believe. But we need love to motivate us to live. Some people get really offended by this. Because we're not a church that just preaches the love of Christ and, and, and that's it. We're a church that preaches our response of faith. And we're a church that says the evidence, the fruit of our faith is a life surrendered. A lot of people want Jesus to be their savior, but they don't want him to be Lord. They want him to be savior, but they don't want him to be Lord. This is real. Let's be real about this. This Christianity thing isn't just something you put, you know, as, as an update on your status. This is, this is a transform. This is a life. We are laying down our lives. We know our faith is genuine when it influences our decisions, when it redirects our steps, when it changes our behavior and causes us to surrender to the will of Christ. You don't believe me? Just look at those who have gone before us. Roger articulated it wonderfully. And here are a few in verse 7. It says, by faith Noah, being warned by God. Here it is. Here's the behavior. Are you ready? He was warned by God intellectually, but look at the behavior. Then he what? He constructed an ark 
for his for save for the saving of his household. Listen, though he had never experienced rain, you know the story in Genesis, he had never experienced rain. He prepared for a flood. Wow. Not based on what he experienced, but based on the word. Though he had never seen a boat. <laughs> what in the world are you asking me to build, God? For what? For when? For who? And here's the most incredible part that many might not know. Noah preached. A flood is coming. Judgment is coming. Sounds kind of familiar. Noah preached. Judgment is coming. God has said it in his word. And if he said it, it's sure. He didn't just preach for one year, two years, 10 years, 50 years. The scripture says he preached for 120 years. You thought you had faith. Some of us like, it's only been a few years. Why, God? It's been three months. God, you promised. You said, you said in your word. It's not like beating God with the word. You. That's how we do. Can you imagine 120 years? And you know what they did to him? They mocked him. They ridiculed him. And said, you're an idiot. Fascinating. Yet, ready? The evidence of his faith was manifested. When he continued to preach and continued to build the ark, even when nothing was happening. Genuine faith flows from the head, through the heart, and into every decision that we make. You see, you see how faith was completed in the behavior. God told Noah judgment is coming. And then he told him to build an ark. And Noah's belief in what God said was evidenced by him building and preaching and waiting. Y'all doing okay? What about verse 8? We're told by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out. Come on, this is my story. And he went out, and the scripture says, not knowing where he was going. Right? That's some of our lives right now. We just wander. We're not sure where we're going. We're just going. Listen, the evidence of Abraham's faith was manifested. It was made visible when he picked up and left behind what was familiar and comfortable. And even though he had absolutely no idea where he was going, he went. Why? Because he trusted God. You see that? Even though he had no idea where he was going, he went because God told him to go. You see how faith is not just an intellectual agreement, but it's a trust. It's someone to trust and something to do. Genuine faith flows from the head through the heart into every decision that we make. Finally, my favorite one here. If you look at verses 24 through 25... Good old Moses. The scripture tells us, by faith, Moses, 
refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. My goodness. I love this. It, it goes on to say, he considered the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt. Y'all see what's happening here? The evidence of Moses' faith was manifested when he made a decision to live like a slave than to live like a king. Oh, that, that word will preach to us Bay Area living folk who are slaving to make money, who are slaving to get ahead, who are slaving, who are chasing the dream. Come on, that'll preach. And Moses says, in order for my faith to be genuine, I would rather identify and live with the slaves than to live in the palace like a king. Wealth didn't move Moses. Obedience to God did. Are you with me? Moses loved God more than he loved money. Moses trusted God more than he trusted power. Moses loved God more than he loved influence. Moses trusted God more than he trusted success. Anything that we love and trust more than God is an idol. It's an idol. It's an idol. And here's the bad news, but it's good news. We all got them. So if you're in here like, man, I got those, good. That You're supposed to come to that understanding. We are idol makers. We got them. They're everywhere. We need God's grace. Y'all doing okay? It's really critical to know that our salvation is a free gift. Right? It's a free gift, right? Grace, remember we talked about, is unearned, undeserved. There's nothing I can do to attract God's favor. We don't need to earn God's love. It's already been given to us. Right? The only thing we do is receive it by faith. By faith. But we receive it by a faith that first agrees with the content. And here's what happens. As we begin to agree with the content, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us and begins to change the affections of the heart. As, we, as, the, as our affections and our love and our trust for Christ begin to grow, all of a sudden, as evidence, as, as fruit of what's going on inside of me, I can't help but change what's going on in, outside of me. So don't think for one second, I'm telling you, that works saves you. No. Works doesn't say faith does. Faith alone, in Christ alone. But evidence, fruit of genuine faith is a mind and a heart that is changed. And if your mind is changed and your heart is changed, your body, your decisions, your choices will follow. Does that make sense? Yeah. I want to close. You guys have done great. I want to close reading verse 2 of Hebrews 11. And I'll read it to you. It says here, and we'll have it for you on the screen as well. For by faith, the people 
of old, what did they do? They received their accommodation. They received their reward by faith. By faith. Right? So we receive Christ. We receive our reward by faith. By trusting, believing. So how does faith reward us? I, I want to break that down as we conclude. Three things. It's really hard. You know, as a, as a pastor, it's like three things, two things, one thing. It's a million things. But l- let me give you three. When you place your faith in Jesus... When you trusted in Christ for your salvation, your faith does this. I want you to know, your faith unites you with Christ. The moment you put your trust in Jesus, your faith unites you with Christ. You okay? And being united with Christ means that whatever is his is now ours. And I'm glad I have four gospel-centered people in this room. You are united with Christ so that whatever belongs to him now belongs to you. So, so, so what, what belongs to him? Number one, by faith, when you put your trust in him, His righteousness becomes your righteousness. Come on. Come on. Any low down, dirty sinners in the house? Am I the only one? Anybody got some things that you can't say out loud because you got a lot of shame? Am I the only one? Are there any? Come on. Oh, no, no. I know you guys are good now. Maybe that was like 10 years ago. But no, no, no. I'm talking about right now. Is anybody in this room, thank God that by faith you were united to Christ so that his righteousness becomes your righteousness. So when judgment day comes... When judgment day comes, Noah, (laughs) when judgment comes because it's coming... You are going to stand before the Lord, but you're not going to be in your dirty laundry. You are going to be covered in the robes of righteousness because you have been united to the perfect, pure Son of God. So that when you stand before God, he doesn't see sin. He sees his Son. Scripture tells us that Abraham believed. And that belief was accredited to his account as righteousness. So it means, when you, here's the economy of heaven. It, it, the economy of hell is you work. And get, here's what you get. Your wages is death. For the wages of sin is death, right? So the economy of hell is that you work, and your works are sinful, and as a result, you get death. That's the economy of heaven as well. Actually, we, we work, and our sin gets us death. We've earned that. Let me correct myself. But, but let, me, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something about grace. Grace is this. We believe. And our belief is accredited to us in our account as if it's righteousness. It's the perfection of Christ. Are you guys with me? 
So, so what's our, what, how does faith reward us? Well, number one, faith unites us to Christ. And in uniting us to Christ, we get Christ's righteousness. I could just go home. Yeah. Number two, when you place your faith in Jesus, when you trusted him for your salvation, your faith unites you with Christ. Are you ready? And his inheritance becomes our inheritance. Now, now you have to understand, and I don't have time, but you have to understand the kind of inheritance the firstborn son received in the ancient world. He got everything. He got it all. Everything that belonged to the father was given to the son. And our father is the divine king and God over the cosmos. And everything that's the father's is the son's. And because by faith you are united to the son. By faith, everything that belongs to the son belongs to us. All the immeasurable riches of his grace will be lavished upon us for all eternity. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And we will inherit that. There will be no more evil, no more sin, no more Satan. We will inherit that. We'll be given a glorious body where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more death. And I love what 1 Corinthians 2, 9, how it kind of just puts it all in perspective. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. Finally, when you placed your faith in Jesus, when you trusted in him for your salvation, your faith united you with Christ so that, are you ready for this? His divine power becomes your divine power. His divine power now becomes your divine power to obey, okay? Now, I'm not saying you're going to start walking on water. I'm not saying that you become a God. No, 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 no. Here's what I'm saying. When we put our faith in Jesus, this should make somebody excited. When we put our trust in Jesus, when we put our hope in Jesus, we are united with Christ. And guess what? We are given his spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And here's what's beautiful about that. The Holy Spirit provides for us divine power. And in that power, we are suddenly given the ability to obey. We are suddenly, all of a sudden, we begin to mature in Christ. I'm not saying we're going to be perfect. Because if that's the case, I'm not getting in. But I'm saying is, as I have grown in my trust and grown in my faith, and I want you to tell, this isn't a three-month thing. This is a six-month thing. This is an entire life thing. As long as you are breathing and living on this side of eternity, you are always going to be growing. But here's what's going to be happening. The Holy Spirit inside of you is going to be filling you with the divine power so that you can become obedient to God's word. So you would go from being a rebel, from a slave to a son, from a slave to a daughter. This is what we have in Christ Jesus by faith. I'm going to invite the team to come up.
if we go to that, I think it's the first slide, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Amen? Through faith. In a moment, we are going to partake of the communion, the Holy Communion together. But before we do that, can we just sing just one simple, maybe a few lines in the course, just to prepare our hearts to honor King Jesus. Again, thank you so much for tuning in today. Our prayer and hope is that you would be transformed by God's word and live for him. Before you go, would you consider giving a gift today? By faith, we are walking into the new year and continuing to believe in what God is doing in the city through our missional communities and mercy ministries. Visit us at inspiredchurches.com to give a gift and let's see together the great things God will continue to do in the new year.